tossing and turning all night like a salad, it's time to put those sleepless nights to bed for good. Enter Tanasi, my sleep saviors, and they have science to back up their sleep, anxiety, and pain-relieving powers. Back in 2016, they invested a $2.5 million grant to Middle Tennessee State University to study the hemp plant. Turns out their special patent-pending CBD-CBDA formula is twice as effective as CBD alone and can be more effective than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. So if you're tired of tossing and turning like a rotisserie chicken, then Tanasi's got your back with their range of great products from tinctures to gummies to lotions. Tanasi is my go-to when I can't sleep or I have way too much anxiety. I'm so glad that I discovered them. So go to Tanasi.com and use the code POWER to get 25% off your order. That's Tanasi.com, T-A-N-A-S-I, to get 25% off your first order with the promo code POWER. Are you tired of your digestive system feeling like a circus act gone wrong? Introducing Ritual's 3-in-1 Gut Superhero Symbiotic Plus. A probiotic, prebiotic, and postbiotic all rolled into one. And with 25% off with the code POWER, there's no better time to check out Ritual. Let's break it down. Probiotics are like the cool kids at the gut party, keeping everything in check and making sure the good vibes are flowing. Prebiotics are their wingmen, fueling the party with all the right snacks to keep the good bacteria thriving. And postbiotics, well, they're like the cleanup crew, sweeping away the mess and leaving your gut feeling fresh and fabulous. So say goodbye to the gut drama and remember, there's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com power. Sober Powered is sponsored by BetterHelp. I was a stress drinker, and I thought, if only I didn't have so much stress, I wouldn't have to drink this much. But do you know why I had all this stress? Because I didn't have the skills to take stressors off my plate, so they built up and wore me down. Some stressors are big and others are small, but carrying around 25 minor annoyances is going to have an impact on you. Plus, did you know that alcohol messes with our stress response system and decreases our ability to handle stress? It makes small things seem like a much bigger deal. Learning how to manage stress and take things off my plate has changed my life. I'm calm, I'm less reactive, and I believe that I can handle whatever comes my way. I feel proud of the way that I handle things now. You can get there too. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com sober to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash sober. I'm Jill, and I'm a sober scientist who talks about the science and psychology of addiction. There are a lot of things that influence developing an addiction, and none of them are that we're weak-willed losers. In the Sober Powered Podcast, you'll learn how and why addiction develops, how alcohol changes the brain to keep us drinking, and most importantly, that you're not alone. The things you experience are experienced by many of us.
Welcome back to the Sober Powered Podcast. I also have a bunch of interviews on my YouTube channel. If you're looking for more inspiration from people other than me, make sure to check that out. My YouTube channel is also called Sober Powered. So today I'm going to talk about what increases our risk of relapsing. I'll explain how alcohol changes the brain to make it harder to not drink. So we'll talk about changes to the reward center, how the brain communicates with itself, and how we're able to handle stress. So you'll also learn how hope and the way that you deal with things helps you stay sober too. So let's dig in. It's not uncommon that a sober person will relapse multiple times before getting sober for good. We usually blame ourselves that we're weak or that we'll never be able to do it, but there are so many reasons why someone will go back to drinking, and seriously, none of them are that we're losers who have no willpower. Alcohol abuse damages the brain in a way that causes us to become more impulsive, which increases our likelihood of relapse because we're thinking more about the immediate moment and not our future, even the near future. We're just thinking about the right now. How can we feel better now? How can we have fun now? How can I forget about this problem now? We're not thinking about three hours from now. So there's one area of the brain called the ventral striatum, and this signals the likelihood of receiving a reward from an action. So it tells you how likely you are to benefit from doing an action. And it's thought that alcohol abuse causes disordered signaling in this area that increases impulsive alcohol use. And this part of the brain includes the nucleus accumbens, which is something that we talk about constantly. So the nucleus accumbens reinforces how rewarding and pleasurable alcohol is and creates a memory of the experience. So by abusing alcohol, we're damaging our brain in a way that makes us more impulsive and messes with the signaling going on in our brain to tell us how rewarding an action will be. So then we think that alcohol is so rewarding and it's easy to forget about all of the consequences or to think that the reward is more important than the potential consequences. So alcohol also causes us to lose white matter in our brain, which is the part of the brain that forms connections between the different areas and allows them to communicate. So gray matter is like the actual brain. So the amygdala, the prefrontal cortex, the nucleus accumbens, so all the different parts, those are gray matter. And the white matter is the connection between these parts that allows them to send messages to each other and communicate. And because alcohol causes us to lose white matter, it interferes with our brain's ability to communicate with itself. Studies have found that people who relapse have significantly less frontal white matter than people who stay sober in the areas of the brain that control decision-making, impulse control, and executive functioning. So if the connections in your brain are messed up in the areas that help you control your impulses, regulate your emotions, control how you make a decision, then it's going to be harder to stay sober. Studies that looked at people in treatment for alcohol dependence have found that they have abnormally low levels of a brain metabolite called N-acetyl aspartate in the frontal lobes. So this metabolite is a marker of neuronal health, so how healthy our brain cells are. 
A few studies have found that N-acetylaspartate levels partially normalize with prolonged sobriety, so the brain does recover. Maybe not fully. It seems unclear yet for the specific metabolite if its activity recovers fully, but that depends on genetics, how long you drank, how much you drank, and other factors. So I talked a lot about how the brain recovers from alcohol abuse back in episode 26. So make sure to listen to that if you haven't yet. So one 2006 study found that higher levels of N-acetylaspartate in recently sober people was associated with longer abstinence. So this could be used as a marker to identify who needs more treatment and support. The thought is that having abnormally low levels of this chemical in the brain can cause more disruption to the prefrontal cortex and increase the amount of cravings that we have, making it so much easier to relapse. So this chemical doesn't protect you from relapse, but it helps the brain function correctly. When abusing alcohol reduces the amount of N-acetylaspartate that we have, it changes the way our brain functions and that's what makes us more vulnerable to relapse. So if this disrupts the prefrontal cortex and as a result, people generally have more cravings for alcohol, if you're dealing with more cravings, it's more likely that you will drink. In fact, people who experience cravings are 14 times more likely to relapse than people who don't. Think about that, 14 times, that's huge. One study found that increased glutamate levels were associated with craving intensity. So if you listen to episode 63 about anxiety, then you may remember that we talked a lot about glutamate. So glutamate excites the brain and alcohol reduces the amount of glutamate that we have in our brain. But when we stop drinking, we have abnormally high levels of glutamate, especially in the first three days of sobriety, which corresponds to early withdrawal and feeling terrible. So this increases anxiety, which is what my point was in episode 63. But according to this study, it may also increase the intensity of our cravings. So the more disruption that you have to your brain chemistry from abusing alcohol, the more intense your cravings will be. And the more intense your cravings are, the easier it is for you to relapse. Alcohol abuse also changes how the brain deals with stress and is associated with heightened activity in stress pathways. So it increases the secretion of stress hormones like corticotropin releasing factor, norepinephrine, and cortisol in areas of the brain that influence stress and emotion. I explained a bit about how cortisol is released back in episode 40 where I talked about anger. So if you're interested in that pathway, go check that episode out after this one. So having more stress hormones circulating through your body increases stress-related symptoms like anxiety and negative emotions, changes in sleep, concentration, memory, and increased cravings. And all of these symptoms are triggers to drink. Social support is so important for someone in recovery, but alcohol damages the areas of the brain that control social skills and empathy. The toughest skill for problem drinkers in this area is recognizing how someone is feeling based on their facial expression. 
Studies have shown that people who relapse have significantly worse facial emotion recognition than people who stay sober. So this could be another tool that treatment providers could use to assess a person's risk of relapse. They could show them images of people feeling different emotions and ask them to identify the emotion. And people who struggle with this the most are at a greater risk for relapse. So what all of this represents is that the more alcohol-induced damage that you have to your brain, the more at risk you are for relapse. So lifetime drinking history or how much you drank and for how many years you drank has a major impact on the damage that alcohol was able to do to your brain. Lifetime drinking history is correlated with worse performance on social-related tasks like decoding faces. So this doesn't mean that you're doomed to be a chronic relapser if you drank for a long time. It just means that you need to put more work in than someone who drank for fewer years or drank less than you did. If you drank every single day for 40 years, then alcohol messed up your brain a lot more than someone who binge drank on the weekends for five years. So your situation is not hopeless. And the way that we view our situation has a big impact on our recovery too. One 2017 study published in the American Journal of Drug and Alcohol Use found that hope and the belief that we can get sober is associated with staying sober. Other studies have found that for people experiencing cravings for alcohol, Those that used acceptance coping styles relapsed less than people who tried to use distraction and disengagement coping styles. So acceptance coping is allowing your thoughts to come and go without trying to change them or make them go away. It's basically emotional sobriety. And your thoughts are what they are. You don't have to do anything to make them go away. They're not good or bad or wrong or right. They just are what they are. So distraction is pretty obvious. And sometimes this type of coping is good when it's combined with acceptance coping. You don't have to just sit around and feel like crap because you're supposed to feel your feelings. You can do other things that are good for you while feeling your feelings at the same time. Disengagement coping is avoidance, and we know that avoiding our problems doesn't make them go away. So if you're struggling to deal with stress and hardship in a healthy way, then I encourage you to work with a therapist on this. It's possible to learn how to use acceptance skills and positive distraction. And just remember that the science shows that this is linked to staying sober. So the study that I was talking about from 2017, everyone in the study was experiencing cravings for alcohol, but those that used acceptance coping styles had a lot less relapses than people who tried to use distraction or avoidance. And having other mental health issues like depression makes us more vulnerable to relapse too. And this creates a cycle where you drink because you're depressed and you're depressed because you drink. One 2011 study found that depression symptoms at treatment admission were significantly associated with alcohol use, and there was a significant decrease in depression the longer that someone stayed sober. So it might be harder in the beginning, 
But the longer that you stay sober, the better chance you have to feel better and actually take care of your mental health and whatever problems are occurring in your life that need to be addressed. So 40 to 60% of people with alcohol use disorder relapse within three months and 70 to 80% relapse by 12 months. So getting sober doesn't mean that the work is done. We need to focus our efforts on maintaining our sobriety. Alcohol damages the brain to make us more vulnerable to relapse. And this isn't something that we can control, but it is something that we can be aware of and work with a therapist or go to meetings to get the support that we need. Social skills, coping strategies, and believing in yourself is definitely something that you can start working on today. When you stop drinking, you probably have really low self-esteem, and that's normal. People who have very high self-esteem usually aren't abusing alcohol and making themselves feel horrible all the time. Alcohol slowly destroys our self-esteem. So it took me about six months of sobriety before I realized that I actually liked myself. So it's not that you get sober and life automatically becomes amazing. You get sober and you have the ability now to make your life amazing. So if you're struggling with relapse or cravings, then I hope that this was helpful. If you enjoy the show, it always helps if you share it with other people. And I will talk to you next week. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how to's for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips i'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so so inspiring i'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking in fact it's very much the opposite and no matter what your relationship was with alcohol life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober new episodes come out every tuesday you can listen to happiest sober podcast wherever you get your podcasts